The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tung. This program will provide the groundwork you need to advance your awareness and be involved in the approaching transformation in consciousness. Now, your host, Peter Tung. Hello and welcome to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. I'm your host, Peter Tung. At the beginning of the show today, Voice America say that the views and ideas expressed on this show may not be the views of this radio station. And today's show is not going to be the views and ideas of many people on the planet, but it's a really, really important um, piece of information that we all need to know. And when I first studied alchemy uh, back in 2006 and went to the alchemy conference in uh, 2008 and met Art Kunkin, he was the first person that I was aware of in my world to be speaking about the beneficial energies of low levels of radioactivity. And I actually had been seeking out a safe form of uranium to work with since then, five years. And then suddenly in the last few weeks, I found my man, my connection, who actually lives in the very same town as me, which is just ridiculously wonderful. And his name is Ian Suter. And Ian uh, is joining me on the show today, so welcome, Ian. Well, thank you so much, Peter. I'm honored to be on your show. So working with radioactivity is something that most people would uh, be fearful of and run away from. So when did, uh, when did you first get involved in radiation? Okay, it's an interesting story. Around uh, 1958, 1959, uh, there was a uranium uh, rush on, like a gold rush, and I lived in northern Ontario, and many people's dads had Geiger counters because they wanted to get rich. And so uh, me and a friend, we used to, when we were eight and nine years old, we used to borrow uh, his dad's Geiger counter and go to the Ranwick uranium mine near Sault Ste. Marie and look for hot rocks. And we, we collected some, and both of us kept them under our pillow to keep away bad dreams. <laughs> and... Uh, and uh, it seemed, seemed to work, but, of course, we were kids, and we believed in the Tooth Fairy and other things. Uh, but uh, anyways, uh, uh, the long and short of it is that uh, many, many years passed. Oh, I should say that the Cold War propaganda struck about 1959-1960, and suddenly I got all my rocks taken away from me. Um, I had an appointment with a family doctor who told me that because of my hobby of collecting and playing with radioactive rocks that I was going to suffer from health problems for the rest of my life. So, uh, so I kind of waited, and I'm 64 now, and uh, nothing happened. And so I, I phoned my friends in Sault Ste. Marie and, uh, uh, that also played with the rocks, and they're all around 60, and they're all perfectly healthy too. So that's what made me wonder. So that's when I, I started to work with it, and it didn't seem to do me any harm. 
So when did uh, your interest in studying what is now called radiation hormesis begin? Okay, well, I guess uh, before I start, I should say what hormesis is. Hormesis is a general uh, scientific principle uh, that toxins in very low doses are beneficial. Now, I have a website with a lot of the science on it, which is available at radiation-hormesis.com. Now, hormesis is spelled H-O-R-M-E-S-I-S. Now, hormesis is from the Greek hormeon, to set in motion, impel, or urge on, and it's the term generally favored for biological responses to low levels of toxin and other stressors. These low-level toxins always produce a positive effect in, in low dose, and uh, a scientist, Edward Calabrese, um, is a major USA toxicologist, and we'll be talking about him a little bit later. Uh, he discovered that uh, our fear of radiation is based on Cold War propaganda, and that's quite well documented. Uh, so the reason I got interested in hormesis is because of Fukushima. I was worried about it, wanted to uh, uh, design electronic products, and I wanted to design Geiger counters uh, for the Fukushima, for people who are worried about Fukushima. And so we designed the Geiger counters, and then we thought, well, we have to send out a radioactive sample with each one to show that it works. And so I was kind of afraid of this. And, but the more and more I read about it, I realized that low-level radiation is actually good for you. So, so I, I went from fear of Fukushima, basically, to embracing radiation as in low levels to improve health. Okay. And, and, ha- and how, how old is the practice, actually, of working with low-level radioactivity? Okay, that's a good... Uh, a very interesting thing. Um, throughout most of the world, uh, not North America, uh, radioactive healing hot springs are used for healing arthritis. And uh, it's mainstream medical treatment in Germany and Austria, uh, most of Europe, uh, all of Asia, including uh, all of China, and all of Russia use healing hot springs which have low levels of radon gas dissolved in the water. So that's, uh, that's how I got uh, interested in it, and that's how ancient it is. The, the oldest hot spring baths are, go back to, uh, in Turkey to 8,000 years ago. So this is a very ancient, uh, popular, and widespread practice, but we don't know about it in North America because of the Cold War propaganda. So just to clarify that then, so the hot springs that exist all over the world, including in North America, are actually carrying a low-level uh, radiation, radioactivity. Oh, that's right. And here in BC, there's uh, radium hot springs. And of course, it's named because there's radon in the water and there's a very small amount of radium as well. And I, I called the hot spring to see what, how good the radiation is. And they they told me, oh, no, no, there's no radioactivity whatsoever. So then I said, well, you know, this is odd because uh, people of European extraction would, would rate a hot spring based on how radioactive it is. So I'm disappointed. I guess it won't be coming. And she says, oh, just a minute, sir. She gives me this guy with a European accent who assured me it was just the same as in Germany and Austria. So, so we, we have them here, but we're not promoting them for what they're good for. 
So I guess people don't typically take Geiger counters to hot springs, do they? I guess not. I'm I'm certainly going to be, next time I go to a healing hot spring, I'll bring my Geiger counter uh, just to make sure it's genuine. I guess you take your Geiger counter everywhere you go, don't you, Ian? Uh, I often do. I often <laughs> go looking for uh, for be- uranium glass beads in antique stores, and uh, and I collect uh, dishes made out of uranium glass, which, uh, which are very popular. Of course, in the antique world, they're known as Vaseline glass. And uh, oh. lots of people have them. They just don't so, know they've got uranium in them. So we'll come back to that, that point a little bit later on. I was interested on your website where you do a lovely historical development of uh, hormesis to see, because I was a chemistry teacher in grade 11 talking about atomic chemistry, Henri Becquerel and Marie Curie uh, and J.J. Thompson, who is credited with um, actually discovering the electron in the, in the atom. But I think from what you said on the website, J.J. Thompson was actually the first person to measure radioactivity in hot springs. Yeah, that, that's right. J.J. Uh, Thompson in uh, 1905 discovered that healing hot springs are radioactive. And then uh, within a year, scientists around the world had verified that every healing hot spring uh, is slightly radioactive. So that includes uh, Lourdes and even Bath in England, although it's not used anymore. I think it's just a museum. So obviously there's going to be people listening to this show who are going to be completely, uh, the word they use in England is gobsmacked by this, by this discussion and this information. So it's really, really important that we actually talk about the dosage involved because obviously high level of radioactivity is extremely serious and dangerous. And so uh, fill our listeners in a little bit on, on what we're talking about when we're talking about dosage in terms of these beneficial radioactive energies. Okay, uh, we, we do make... Uh uh, low-level uranium glass beads available at the radiant-beads.com site. And these are about, uh, I'll use the units uh, microsieverts per hour. Um, it's used around the world, not as common in the U.S., but uh, at least we're on the same wavelength as Fukushima and other, other events. So the beads are about four microsieverts per hour. It's very, very, very low level, but it's enough to trigger a positive immune response. Uh, when I first started experimenting, uh, an allergy I had developed to a cat, which happens to you as you get older, uh, completely disappeared and has never come back from simply wearing a small amount of uranium on a daily basis. Um, now, I should say, for people who are skeptical, there's uh, uh, a very important piece of information to know uh, that... Uh, Edward Calabrese, as I mentioned earlier, a famous toxicologist, uh, has uncovered the Cold War propaganda that led us to believe that, that low-level radiation was dangerous. Uh, Herman Muller in 1923 proved that X-rays produce mutations in fruit flies. And from 1923, he eventually won the Nobel Prize in '46. From 1923 onwards... Uh, he went down and down and down in the strength of the x-rays. And uh, you can see his actual lab notes that Edward Calabrese uh, pulled out of the university archive where he works, where uh, Herman Muller worked as well. And it turns out that uh, when he got down to the low levels about two years before the Nobel Prize, uh, his lab notes say things like, um, I'll be damned, There's no matter how many times I run the experiment, there's there's uh, less mutations in the fruit flies at these low levels of x-rays 
than there are at natural background levels. Now, he could have said that and been honest about it. But there was a big ban the bomb movement, and he got talked into stating when he won the Nobel Prize in 46 that he did many years of experimentation and that radiation is dangerous down to the tiniest amount that can be measured. Now, this was a Cold War lie, and the guy won a Nobel Prize. So as a result, all the scientists that came after him tended to believe it. It became a cultural belief among scientists. So you'll meet many scientists who claim low-level radiation is dangerous, but since between 1880 to 1982, um, there were some 1,600 experiments recorded on very low-level radiation, such as occurs naturally around the world, and all of them showed, almost all of them showed beneficial effects, and none of them showed uh, harmful and dangerous effects. And, and what are the beneficial effects, typically, and that you've experienced or you've read about? Okay, well, um, I'm going to read this book. There's a book on which the title of the radio show is based, Underexposed, What If Radiation Is Actually Good For You? Now, um, this book is not so much of a scientific book, but it does have all the science in it. It's more of a general presentation for the average reader. And it's by Ed Hisserdot and it's H-I-S-E-R-O-D-T. So once again, the title, Underexposed, What If Radiation Was Actually Good For You? Now, this book you can get online for, I bought mine for about five bucks. It came out in 2005, so it's an old timer. Now, quoting from the book, um, he quotes a lot of scientific sources, including UNSCEAR, which is the United Nations Scientific Committee on the Effects of Atomic Radiation, and in a 1994 report, uh, he quotes from it in the book, um, Manifestations of Adaption. I'm going to read this twice. It's very key. Manifestations of the adaption described in mammals after exposure to low doses of radiation include accelerated growth rate in the young, increase in reproductive ability, extended lifespan, stimulatory effects on the immune system, and a lower-than-expected instance of spontaneous tumors. So, once again, I'll just read the effects. Uh, accelerated growth rate in the young, increase in reproductive ability, extended lifespan, stimulatory effects on the immune system, and a lower-than-expected instance of spontaneous tumors. So, 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 Ian, we're actually at our first break, and that's a great place for us to break, for our listeners to take a deep breath, because their whole belief system is being rattled and shooken around right now. So we'll take a break and we'll return in a moment. It's Peter Tongue for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. This is the 7th Wave Channel on the Voice America Network. Do you want to reach your highest potential in your personal and business life? Come and join our heart-centered community with Peter Tung and Sherry Chase. Embrace love, abundance, integrity, and personal empowerment in a safe and sacred space for your awakening. Our intention is to lay the groundwork for you to advance your awareness efficiently, to be fully involved in the conscious co-creation of peace and prosperity on our beautiful planet. Go to MyHeartCenteredJourney.com for more information. 
There are a lot of questions about psychic reading and messages from beyond and what they say to us and about us. Join hosts Pat Nelson and Bryce Korsanowski for Illuminating You. Our program will answer many of the questions that you may have and others will have. Our guests discuss and share their personal stories of triumph over trauma. We'll talk about all aspects of healing, living as a part of nature, and other psychic and medium topics. Listen every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be visionary. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You're listening to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Peter Tan. If you have a question for Peter or comment on this series, please send an email to descendingdove at gmail.com. That's descendingdove at gmail.com. Now back to our program. Welcome back to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tung. Just a reminder to go to my website, www.petertung.com. And all of the uh, radio shows are listed there, archived. And my newsletters giving you all the information of the different work that we're doing in the world today. And www.myheartcenteredjourney.com and our Ambassadors of Light program, where I uh, have a chat a couple, every couple of weeks about what is happening in the world of spirit and consciousness and the energetics that are impacting us on a uh, weekly basis. I have with me today Ian Suter, and Ian has been studying for the last two and a half years since Fukushima radiation hormesis. And before the break, Ian, we were talking about the benefits of the low-dose exposure to radioactivity, but we do need to make it really clear that we do need to know what we're involved in here and, and the different levels of radioactivity that you could expose yourself to. So continue with that, please. Okay, now... Once again, I'm going to bring you back to looking at the science site. Uh, I've collected um, <clears throat> many of the, the papers from the most famous North American and European uh, researchers on radiation hormesis, and you can find this at radiation-hormesis.com. And uh, right at the top, you'll find uh, links to... Uh, significant and recent research, and including in there is uh, a CBC show uh, about called Quirks and Quarks, where he discusses uh, hormesis in general. So the important thing to know is that you can't randomly expose yourself to radiation. It has to be carefully measured to be in the, the low-dose range. Now, the idea may sound similar to uh, homeopathy, but if you do go to the website and listen to that show by CBC uh, Quirks and Quarks show, you will discover that uh, there there are um, many. Uh, there's a lot of information out there, and you'll also uh, hear him stress the importance of dose. So I'm stressing that because I don't want people to run out and buy all the smoke detectors they can find take them apart and put all the radioactive pieces in their pocket. Things like that could be very hazardous. Uh, 
So I'm recommending if you want to experiment with with your own health using uh, low-level radiation, you should either buy known sources that are meant for the purpose or you should uh, buy your own Geiger counter and make sure to measure them to make sure that uh, they're safe. Now, any source below about 20 microsieverts per hour uh, is going to be a safe source to work with. But the ideal level is uh, 10 microsieverts per hour. And right now I'm wearing a 10 microsievert uh, little pendant uh, made out of uranium ore. Now I'm just going to hold the Geiger counter up to it. I've got one right here and I have a number of sources, but just to give you an idea of the strength. So here I'm, you can hear the tick, and I'm going to hold it up to my uh, chest where I'm wearing the, uh, the pendant. So that might sound like a lot of ticking, but in fact, this is a very sensitive instrument, and that is an extremely low level that uh, uh, most Geiger counters would be right at the bottom of the scale. Now, on the other hand, I have another source right here. This one is 150 microsieverts per hour, which I don't mind holding in my hand for a few minutes, but I certainly wouldn't carry it in my pocket. And listen to this one. So that one is 150 microsieverts. Is that coming through uh, on your end, Peter? Loud and clear, yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's, it now, takes me back uh, to my, uh, my high school teaching days. So just okay. for those people that don't know, just, just explain what a Geiger counter actually does. Well, what a Geiger counter does is it sounds dramatic with all that ticking, but each tick represents only the activity of one atom, and the uh, particles are rays that it releases. So... Uh, it represents, uh, so when atomic materials break down, such as uranium, and uranium's a pretty safe one because natural uranium, uh, it breaks down, its half-life is 4. Point, I think it's 4.2 billion years. So it's taken away very, very slowly, very low-level radiation, and almost any type of uranium ore is a safe thing to use for hormesis. But there are exceptions. There are some exceptionally hot uh, ores, although they're very rare. So again, you need to have a Geiger counter if you're going to do some exploring on your own. And another thing that people need to know is um, that when we have the fears around uranium, um, you know, you, even that word can create fear in people. What's important to know is most of the uranium that you know about from uh, nuclear power plants and from the atomic bomb, for example, is a highly, highly concentrated form of the uranium isotope that, that is radioactive as opposed to the natural rocks that sit in the landscape. Yeah, that, that's, a good, that's a very good point. Um, I'll just, uh, uh, lots of people probably have uranium glass in their collection. I'll just give a couple more readings. Here's the glass of water that I'm drinking from. I'll hold it up. So that's just the outside of the glass. Uh, and this type of glass, very pretty, either yellow or, or green, uh, is, has become extremely popular among antique collectors. Um, so, just, so just give us the uh, history on, the, on that uranium glass and why it exists. Oh, it's, it's very interesting. Uh, around 1840, uh, um, a glassmaker uh, had a friend who was a rock collector, and it was in Germany. He went to a, a silver mine and discovered this yellow powder. Well, it's uranium oxide, 
of course. And he took the uh, yellow powder back to his friend uh, in town who's a glass maker, and they, they put about 10 pounds into a furnace of glass that was melting, and uh, they got this beautiful glass, with, uh, and it, it, it fluoresces uh, in under ultraviolet light. And in Victorian times, it was very popular, especially in England, for uh, church stained glass windows, because as the sun goes down at the end of the day, the levels of UV rise slightly higher, and if you put your uranium glass in the window, it, it glows in a beautiful way just, just for a few moments at sunset. So uh, it's remained popular throughout, uh, well, it's still popular today. It's produced by two companies I know of uh, in Ohio. Uh, the Mosser Glass Company is one, and I forget the other one. Uh, but they're, they're making various trinkets and Victorian uh, cast items, and they're still using uranium glass because it was traditional. But it's so very just, popular just to be- worldwide, and Queen Victoria ha- had quite a large uranium glass collection donated from various parts of the world. So just to be clear, this is all for aesthetic, pleasant-looking, pleasant-feeling reasons rather than for a healing substance. That's right, yes. But uh, since I discovered the benefits of low-level radiation, and uranium glass is a really good example, um, I have a set of dishes that we eat off of every day that's uranium glass, and we have drinking glasses and stuff. Uh, the, the only way you can harm yourself with uranium glass, and this is only minor harm, and it's only theoretical harm, is uh, you should never store acidic things like vinegar in a uranium glass decanter because it will extract the uranium and you'll have an unusually high level of uranium uh, in the vinegar. Now, for people who are really paranoid about uh, uranium, you should know that uh, if you like beets, you're getting your daily dose of uranium because uh, all root crops, especially if they're grown in Canada, Uranium is everywhere in Canada. It's pretty well everywhere in the States, too. Uh, but uh, beets have the highest levels of uranium of any vegetable. Well, that's why they're so good for you, I guess. Who knows? <laughs> so uh, I do want to come back to the dosage thing because another big scare in North America, particularly in the States, has been around radon gas in people's homes. So what do you know about that? Okay, well, that one is very interesting, uh, I mentioned earlier that uh, uh, people around the world use healing hot springs, which have radon gas for healing their arthritis. Now, I use this method myself. I have my own way of generating radon for my bathtub. But uh, there, there are, there's a huge industry called the radon mitigation industry to get radon out of your basement. And it's a good example for us to discuss because the reason they think radon is hazardous is that in uranium mines that are unventilated, historically they know that uh, a large number of uranium miners would die from lung cancer. But we're talking levels that are like a million times higher than you'd see in your basement. And what they did is something very unscientific in the 50s and 60s. They, they looked at how many uranium miners were killed at a very high level, how many were killed at, say, half that level, and how many were killed at a quarter of that level. And then they used a ruler, and they drew a line down to the zero point on the graph, and they said, you see, it's dangerous down to the tiniest amount. Well, this is actually untrue, but it became the basis of a whole industry. 
Now, the largest study, and again, if you go to the science site that I mentioned earlier, and it's listed at the bottom of the website as well, um, if you go there and you look up the research of Bernard Cohen, he's an American researcher who managed to study 1,600 counties in the U.S. and the radon levels in people's basements. So he didn't predict with a graph. He actually went to people's basements, measured the radon, uh, in 1,600 counties, and he, had, he got, an, I think, about a dozen universities to collaborate around the states. So he got this huge amount of information, and then he looked at the levels of lung cancer in those states, and lo and behold, Colorado has the highest levels of radon, and this is also the state that has the lowest levels of lung cancer. And if you poke around on my science site, you'll actually see graphs where it shows all the areas of the states where radon is high, and on another map, all the areas of the states where lung cancer is highest. And if you overlay those two maps, the high levels of radiation never correspond to the high levels of lung cancer. So this is a false, uh, a false belief, and a very widespread false belief. But the science is there, and people are welcome to read it. I'd encourage you to actually read the science as opposed to, say, going to Wikipedia because Wikipedia is largely authored by regulators who believe all the theories that uh, are really no longer believed by radiation scientists. So there's a disconnect in our culture. It's a really important point, Ian, and, and it is important for people to check out the research. I mean, I did so five years ago, actually, and uh, came to the same conclusions that you are now in terms of the research and the information that's available. It's time for our second break, so we'll take that now. It's Peter Tung for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. We all want peace. We all desire a more meaningful life. We work hard to achieve these things, but at what avail? The key is authentic living with Andrea Matthews. Andrea will interview some of the great spiritual experts of today and will provide wisdom to help you raise your consciousness to the level of your own I am. Your authenticity can give you miraculous gifts, but you have to know how to get there. Listen for Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Heard live every Wednesday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the 7th Wave Network. Do you want to reach your highest potential in your personal and business life? Come and join our heart-centered community with Peter Tung and Sherry Chase. Embrace love, abundance, integrity, and personal empowerment in a safe and sacred space for your awakening. Our intention is to lay the groundwork for you to advance your awareness efficiently, to be fully involved in the conscious co-creation of peace and prosperity on our beautiful planet. Go to MyHeartCenteredJourney.com for more information. Invite meaning and inspiration to your life. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel.
You're listening to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Peter Tong. If you have a question for Peter or comment on this series, please send an email to descendingdove at gmail.com. That's descendingdove at gmail.com. Now back to our program. Welcome back to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tung. just want to take this opportunity of thanking our sponsors for this series of shows. Shari Chase of Chase International Real Estate Company in beautiful Lake Tahoe and Reno, Nevada. And I actually remember them having quite a significant radon scare there as they, they, they actually exist between two bands of silver and gold in the landscape there. And also to thank uh, Brandy Jackson, my producer, and Matt, my regular engineer, for the show to create the opportunity for me to bring such wonderful guests to you and fascinating information which we are receiving from Ian Suter today. So, Ian, we were talking about the radon gas scare before the break, and then there was another very interesting article that you sent to me about a building that was built in Taipei, Taiwan, which, which had... Uh, radioactive cobalt-60 in the stainless steel. So just explain that one to us. Okay, that's a good one. Uh, in 1983, I'm, I'm reading part of this, uh, and I'll just be speaking off the top of my head. Um, in 1983, a group of apartment buildings was uh, constructed in Taipei City, Taiwan. Recycled steel contaminated with cobalt-60 was accidentally used in the construction material. People lived in these buildings for between 9 and 20 years. As of 2011, many still did. Um, radiation doses varied from apartment to apartment and the duration of residence. Owing to the short cobalt-60 half-life of 5.3 years, uh, the, the situation diminished in time over uh, 10 years or so. On the average, these people received an estimated radiation of 40 millisieverts per year. Uh, this ast- there's an astonishing graph that I'm looking at that shows uh, the situation with cancer. It was unbelievable. Over the entire time period, deaths from cancer averaged 3.5 per 100,000 people living in the, living in the population. So the, the incidence was 3.5 per 100,000 people if they were living in those apartments. However, the average for Taiwan is 116 per 100,000 people. So there was a really, really dramatic drop in the cancer rate for that particular group. The government of Taiwan uh, did not cooperate by uh, supplying the information. They were embarrassed about it, but foreign scientists came in to study the situation. And I'll just read the... uh, uh, You know, it's a very... A very uh, interesting article. I'll read the conclusion uh, of uh, this article. This article that I'm reading this from is from the Journal of American Physicians and Surgeons, volume number 18, number 3, from the fall of this year. I have in front of me, uh, I think it's eight papers from 2013. This is the year that mainstream science noticed radiation hormesis. So the conclusions of this paper are the discovery of radiation... Hormesis is equivalent in the field of health physics to the discovery of relativity and quantum mechanics in physics. It may be the greatest medical advance of the century. Moreover, in collusion with the medical monopoly, the government is depriving Americans 
of access to potentially revolutionary advances in health. So there are a lot of doctors who would like to uh, move forward and use it for positive purposes, but the regulations about radiation developed in the Cold War are making it impossible for them to put it forward. So just tell us uh, uh, some examples of, of where this low-level radioactive uh, hormesis has been used to help people with uh, cancer already and, and, and what has taken place. Okay, most of the... I, I should talk about some of the, uh, the scientists at some point. We'll come back to that. Uh, but uh, the, the scientist who uh, first brought radiation hormesis forward was uh, T.D. Lucky. And I've chatted with T.D. Lucky by email a number of times, but I can't talk to him anymore. He's 94. Uh, he just had a stroke, and uh, so he's, uh, um, and he, he said he's not going to live too much longer. But uh, he was the one that brought it forward in 1982. He studied 100 years of, uh, of radiation science from 1880 to 1980, 1982, he put forward a book, very thick. Uh, it's like about uh, eight inches thick, and it involves 1,600 studies during that 100-year period. And none of them showed a danger. This is all low-level natural. And none of them showed a danger, and 70% showed positive health effects. And uh, uh, research in the 1890s showed that trees grew uh, faster and better, uh, insects reproduced better and lived longer. And, in fact, all of the research showed that animals lived longer. Now, jumping to more modern times, um, the, a scientist uh, called uh, Dr. Sakamoto in Japan, uh, he was curing cancer with low levels of radiation for about 20 years in Japan. And instead of the way we cure cancer with surgery and whatnot, he was uh, simply exposing people to very low levels of x-rays on a, uh, for many, many hours over about five days. And they'd come back in a few months and have another one of these sessions. And what would happen is the, the body's immune system would be boosted, and the body would then slowly pick off the cancer cells. No surgery. There are no bad side effects at all. And, in fact, an Ontario um, researcher I know was able to arrange for his wife to receive this kind of, uh, kind of treatment for cancer, and she reported there are no side effects whatsoever, and the cancer just went away. So reading about this, I am actually shocked at the state of cancer therapy uh, when it's known that this could be used as a treatment. But more importantly, if our radiation levels in our society were just a little bit higher, about 30% of the cancers would be eliminated. There's population studies all over the world of uh, areas. There's two beaches in India that are about 200 times more radioactive than Victoria. So a couple more in uh, Brazil. And there's an area called Ramsar, a coastal area that's even hotter in Iran. And all of these areas, without exception, have very low cancer rates. So it can be used for curing cancer, that's, uh, that has been developed in Japan. I even have a paper from last year showing all the low-level tools that they created, and one of them is a, a home radon inhalator for uh, mitigating lung cancer. How about that? The exact opposite to what we're fearful of. 
It's amazing, isn't it? And, and it's so sad for me, Ian, because I work with people in my practice who, who have terminal cancer and the incredibly difficult, challenging time that they go through with the way in which we treat people today with surgery and radiation and chemotherapy, where in fact, low-level radiation would really help them without any side effects at all. Well, and not, not to mention the fact that they're not likely to have got cancer in the first place if they were living in such a place. Now, I should say, um, this is very interesting. Uh, the, the article on the Journal of American Physicians and Surgeons, they're very accusatory of the uh, nuclear regulators in the U.S. government for making sure to get the radiation levels lower and lower and lower because scientifically that's proven to cause the cancer rates to go higher and higher. It sounds strange, and uh, I know it goes against everything that we've ever been taught, but uh, I, I recommend that you go and uh, read my science site. Once again, it's at radiation-hormesis.com. Hormesis, H-O-R-M-E-S-I-S. The science papers are there, and in the back of the science paper, you'll find references to other science papers, and you can read for months, and I guarantee when you're finished your reading, you'll be looking for some sources. Well, we'll come back to that in a moment, but, but this show is all about breaking off the lid off all of the old limiting beliefs and things we've been told to believe in that actually are not the truth. And so thank you for, for having the courage to do this. Let's, uh, let's just talk about Fukushima a little bit, because that's how all this began for you two and a half years ago, looking into that disaster and what has taken place. So what is your understanding of, of, of what has taken place there and the situation now? Okay, well, <clears throat> one, of the, uh, one of the researchers I've been talking with quite a bit, and I'll uh, be going to visit him in Ontario shortly, uh, Jerry Cutler, and uh, he's been uh, a proponent of radiation hormesis. He works at the Bruce Nuclear Reactor uh, in Ontario, or I think he's retired now, but that's his, his job history. Um, and he's written a, a ton of articles uh, specifically about Fukushima. I'm just looking for it. There we go. I've got one here, which uh, you guys can, uh, can read. It's in, from the Dose Response Journal and you'll find that online. Uh, and it's called A Commentary on Fukushima and the Benefits of Low-Level Radiation. Now, um, some of the radioactive elements coming from Fukushima are very dangerous. There's, uh, there's cesium and there's iodine, uh, but um, for the most part, these high levels of these substances only occurred very briefly. And the ongoing radiation is of a lo much lower nature. Um, now, people in North America, of course, are worried about uh, um, tiny amounts of radiation coming across. Now, the amounts of radiation are ridiculously small, but one of the scientific facts that can help alleviate your anxiety is that uh, uh, a lot of scientific experiments have been done on uh, the toleration of high levels of radiation uh, if they're preceded by uh, some exposure to low-level radiation. The exposure to low radiation in advance uh, puts your immune system up into high gear so that it's able to do DNA repair as needed. Now, I'll just mention this briefly. Our bodies carry out about 10,000 DNA repairs every hour of our life from the moment we're born until now. And so DNA is not some kind of a fixed thing that you have to be terrified 
of modifying because the body repairs uh, a high number of, a high rate of errors. It can repair 10,000 errors per hour. So that any uh, damage that you get to your DNA from low-level radiation, the body fixes that up and it's, it's not an issue. But once you get the body in this repair mode, then when you're exposed to more dangerous levels of radiation, the body is able to deal with those as well, and they often become harmless. And so I would recommend, if, if you're on the West Coast, I don't think there's that much of a danger, but if you feel there's a danger, um, it would be worthwhile to wear something like uranium glass beads uh, or any other uh, low-level source. Or if you have a uranium glass collection, you might want to get them out of the cupboard and start using them, make sure you're, you're in contact with them. So Ian, we're coming, up, Sorry. we're coming up to our final break, so we'll take the break now, and when we come back, we'll talk a bit more about the uranium glass beads and how you can actually create your own tools at home to protect yourself in this way and also benefit enormously in terms of your general health and well-being. It's Peter Tung for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. The 7th Wave Channel on The Voice America Network. Do you want to reach your highest potential in your personal and business life? Come and join our heart-centered community with Peter Tung and Sherry Chase. Embrace love, abundance, integrity, and personal empowerment in a safe and sacred space for your awakening. Our intention is to lay the groundwork for you to advance your awareness efficiently, to be fully involved in the conscious co-creation of peace and prosperity on our beautiful planet. Go to MyHeartCenteredJourney.com for more information. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio. Because shift happens. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Seek greater awareness. You're listening to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Peter Tong. If you have a question for Peter or comment on this series, please send an email to descendingdove at gmail.com. That's descendingdove at gmail.com. Now back to our program. Welcome back to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tung. Um, I don't get excited easily and often, uh, but I'm really excited about this. As I said off the top of the show that I've been looking for a safe source of uranium for uh, since 2006 and now I'm now wearing my 
set of uh, five uranium beads on a necklace around my neck, which uh, I received from Ian. And I have absolutely no doubt that uh, it is going to be beneficial to uh, longevity of light, to general vitality, boosting the immune system, just generally uh, uplift us and bring us to a higher level of awareness. But I also feel, and I I don't know if Ian feels the same way, but I also feel that these uh, beads, this uranium spontaneous decay into a more stable form can also help us on our consciousness journey. I do believe that there is a connection between this this gift from Mother Earth, uh, the awakening process that we are going through. So I, I am I'm committed to this journey of radiation hormesis as Ian is absolutely passionate about. So Ian, just explain a bit more about the, the glass beads and how people can get them or how they can work with them themselves. Okay, well, <clears throat> the, uh, the site that I mentioned, the science site, radiation-hormesis.com, uh, has all the science information, but it's not a, a sales site. But at the very bottom of that page, you'll find links to all my other, uh, other web pages. And one of them is radiant-beads. That's the plural. Radiant-beads.com. And we sell a set of uh, five uranium glass beads that put out about four, actually about 3.6 microsieverts per hour if you take it to the decimal point. And uh, this has been found to be a, a beneficial uh, level. And we started selling them because uh, basically there was nowhere people could turn. They could read the science, but there was no source. So we decided to create a source that people could buy quite easily. They're not, not expensive. But on the science site, I also describe how you can make your own radiation hormesis tools. So armed with a Geiger counter, again, very important to look at dose. You can design your own radiation hormesis tools from natural minerals, uh, thorite crystals, various uh, various things. Thorite crystals, I should warn you about, they, they're the most powerful natural radioactive substance uh, known, and you want to be cautious with those. They probably don't make a, a very good radiation hormesis a tool. But uh, the uranium ores are, are in the right range, and uh, the glass beads are, are fine. Um, does that answer your question there, Peter? Yeah, and, and, but you're also, I know, quite keen for people to, uh, to, to, to do their own thing and work with the glass beads. So tell people how you actually identify the glass beads that are radioactive. Okay, uh, yes, I encourage people to just go and find their own. Um, I bought my first ones at the local bead store here in Victoria. You just arm yourself with a UV light and look at all the beads and... If they're glass, that's the important thing. There's lots of fluorescent plastic beads. But if the beads are glass and they fluoresce, they glow under UV light, it means that they are uranium glass. It's the only known substance that can be added as a doping agent to make glass glow. So uh, you people uh, out there that are interested, uh, you could shop at the local bead store and and make your own and start... uh, uh, giving away calibrated beads to friends and stuff. So I do encourage people to make their own. So when you've identified that they are indeed fluorescent, the, you then measure each bead with a great Geiger counter to check that they're giving off the right uh, radioactivity for beneficial health. Well, actually, uranium glass beads are lucky. They're always 2% uranium because if they're 
2%, they glow optimally. And uh, so uranium glass beads are always safe. The only downside is that sometimes they they chintz a bit and they don't put enough uranium in to be useful for hormesis, and yet they still glow not very well. But uh, So it's good to have both. The, the Geiger counter will tell you how strong they are. And, and again, just so people understand, if you went to the bead shop and asked for uranium, uranium glass beads, they're not likely to know that they've no. got uranium in them, so you need to do it yourself. That's right. None of the bead stores in town knew they had uranium glass beads, but in fact, all of them did. And some of them, when they realized they had uranium glass beads, ordered more. <laughs> Other stores just gave them, to, one store just gave me a bunch, and they said they wanted to get them out of the store. So, <laughs> so you never know. Sometimes if you identify with a Geiger counter, they have uranium glass beads, so they might give them to you as a gift. So uh, some of our listeners may remember in the 60s, uh, people wore these beads in uh, the old hippie time discotheques because they, black lights were used in discotheques at that time and they, they glowed in the dark. So okay. those are those same beads. It's the same beads as the hippies wore in the 60s. <laughs> I wonder if I could uh, talk about uh, some of the other um, things that we're doing in our company. Absolutely, and We've got about two or three minutes left, yeah, so fairly quickly. Okay. Well, um, there's an article that everyone should look up, and uh, it's in Psychology Today last year. And the, the thing to look for in Google uh, is uh, antidepressant-induced depression now has a name. So it turns out that SSRI drugs for antidepressants, such as Celexa and Citralopram, and there's a whole there's a whole range of them, but they all fall into the SSRI, which means selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor. These are known to cause a disease in many people if they take it for longer than 10 years, and it produces a severe, untreatable depression. A very serious situation that I recommend people read about, since one in six Americans suffers from depression and one in six Canadians suffers from depression. It's a serious issue. Now, we're we're working on a... uh, an electromedicine uh, device that you clip on the ears that changes the brain chemistry uh, in order to relieve depression, but it has no side effects. In the States, it's not approved in Canada or even recognized. In the States, it's been FDA approved for uh, 40 years and in use for 50, and it's well known to have no side effects from long-term use. So, it's too bad electromedicine has got kicked out of this country, but uh, again, it's a situation around the world. Electromedicine is very important, and I encourage so it, you to read that article about. Uh, it's called tardive dysphoria, the disease caused by taking antidepressants. So, Ian, we're right at the end of the show, and I really, really appreciate the, your time. The one website we haven't given is your business one, which is Microsec, M-I-C-R-O-S-E-C dot net, Microsec dot net. And okay, I really, really appreciate, really appreciate your time today, Ian. You've, you've done a tremendous amount of work against all the odds, and I know this is going to be a revolution in the near future to help people live a healthier, happier life and also to help treat people with serious cancer. So I really do appreciate the work you're doing, and thank you for joining me today. Oh, I'm very glad to be on the show there, and uh, best of luck with your own beads there. (laughs) I'm loving them. Thanks so much, Ian. 
So I hope you've enjoyed today's show. My guest next week is Tom Lesher, Kai Pacha, the Pele Report, a wonderful, kooky uh, Californian astrologer who's really good at what he does. And he'll be giving us insights of what has taken place uh, since the December 21st, 2012, about uh, male-female balanced relationship and what to look out for in the next little while to come. So I hope you'll join me next week with Tom Lesher. Thank you again to Ian Suter for today. Have a wonderful week. It's Peter Tung for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. you found this week's show to be enlightening and inspiring please join host peter tongue for another edition of awakening to conscious creation next wednesday at 3 p.m eastern time noon pacific time on seventh wave network